Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Chapter 4 As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up in according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you.
I can't remember the last time I urged someone to do something. Maybe it's when I urged my wife to buy me more chocolate. We don't tend to go in for urging other people to do things, let alone something as potentially guilt-inducing as urging someone to live a life worthy of their calling. What could have possessed Paul to do it? I think there are two main pillars undergirding this urge. The first pillar is a real desire for God to be given glory. Paul seems to have been far more obsessed with that than any person I've ever met. Paul was constantly driven forward by a desire to see Jesus acknowledged as the boss in the church right now. Paul wanted the future supremacy of Jesus to be acknowledged by all the church in all their lives, all the time. Paul pursued this above everything else. I so much desire to emulate him. Come on, let's give glory to God. The second pillar is a near unlimited expectation of what God can do through people. Paul's litmus test of success in the Christian life was not clinging on until the day you die. Paul didn't think the management of a bit of sin and the giving of a bit of time and money was the highest peak of the Christian walk. He actually believed, nay, he expected the rank and file to be filled with the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. Paul operated on the assumption that every half-wit and rogue who came to his churches would one day be living their lives as if they were Jesus. He believed that through the power of God and the work of his church, all of us could become fully mature, beautifully holy, staggeringly powerful, overwhelmingly loving, changers of the world. Paul's vision for people was immense because his vision of God was immense. If we could only get halfway towards emulating Paul in that, it would have catastrophic consequences for the mundane and ordinary existence that many of us called Christianity. If we could emulate Paul in his zeal for God's glory and in his vision for people, then we would really see what it's like to live in unity and live well. So I urge you to start praying for this vision to fill our minds and our church. Here's a question for reflection. If God answered all your prayers and desires for other people, how much would it really change the world? How could you expand your vision of what you pray into others' lives? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.